Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Kerr, and welcome to this week's episode. As uh, we've got a little bit of a change up here, we're hot off of uh, a few weeks in a row with some great guests, and we've got some more lined up here um, in the weeks to come, including next week with a couple more with a huge Sunday Night Football preview matchup with uh, Week 5 NFL Football Bills and Chiefs. But before we jump ahead to next week, we've got to cover this week, Week 4 in the NFL, and a hu- another huge Sunday night matchup. And there'll be millions upon millions of eyeballs uh, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Foxborough, New England, on another Sunday night football matchup. We mentioned that one in Week 5. And this big one in week four, it is Tom Brady's return to meet up with Bill Belichick. So a uh, huge matchup there. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. We're going to cover the world of golf fresh off the Ryder Cup this weekend. Won an event. Um, wasn't the uh, quite as close on the golf course as we would have liked but uh, some great golf, some great interviews, some great press conferences, some great emotion, and great honesty. So lots of uh, lots of good coming out of the Ryder Cup. We're going to preview the Sanderson's Championship. We've got the shop right on the LPGA Tour. So um, a lot going on, and we're going to get into Week 4 and what you need to know and what we've learned. So let's hop right into it. But before we do so, folks, let's make sure that you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, at Triple G. That is our tag. You can reach out, ask us any questions, comments, feedback. We want to hear it all. Make sure you're subscribing on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods, as we'll have them across the board as well. So let's get into it right now. This episode is going to be short and sweet. Because we've got no guests, I don't want you listening to me for too long. So what did we learn Week three NFL football here, folks, and uh, we learned a uh, we learned a lot. Listen, we had Donnie Wrightside Seymour on. I've been pounding the table for it. Listen, week one is a pathological liar. We know that it never tells the truth. Example, case in point, Exhibit A: the Pittsburgh Steelers somehow beating the Buffalo Bills. We saw Ross Tucker uh, mention it. Um, that the NFL should put into an investigation on how the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Buffalo Bills. And the difference between those two teams from week one to week three is absolutely astronomical. Week two starts to tell a little bit more of the truth. It's the, as, as Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football put it, it's the Boy Scout. It will tell a little bit more of the truth. To me, week three now you start to settle in. And by week four, week five, you really start to figure out you know, who's who, where we're going, who's going up, who's going down. You know, I, I see all these power rankings come out uh, right now. And it, it, to me, it's just so early and it's so hard to, to judge and to tell, uh, uh, you know, where some of these teams are at. You know, 
the Denver Broncos three and O, the Arizona Cardinals. You know, the list goes on and on of of teams that that um, you know when push comes to shove, there's going to be two or three of those teams that are not around uh, come playoff time when we hit uh, the middle of January here that uh, you know aren't going to be around. So. It'll be uh, interesting to see how it shapes up over here um, or here in the next three, four weeks as we move into week four, five, six, and seven. But what did we learn in week three? We learned a couple things. Number one being, and we we were also reminded of it, that the rookies are going to struggle. As much as I pounded the table for, for Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and and, and all of these rookie quarterbacks that that have have come out and you know you know Taylor Heineke you throw him in there and and even Jalen Hurts um he's he's only started you know not even a full season of of football games here right so um you know he's just over a half a season I think eight or nine starts here so to me I I throw him in there and and they're gonna struggle and when when you add it all up week three it was not a good week for them and it you know less than 50 percent completion uh, percentage from to me I got those seven rookies that I just named in there through Davis Mills in there from Houston as he got the start there that we saw against Carolina on Thursday night and and they throw seven t- touchdowns 11 interceptions and get sacked 27 times uh, amongst those seven quarterbacks nine by Justin Fields alone and that vaunted uh, Cleveland Browns defensive line, Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney getting after the young kid. Um, so rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle. But I mentioned Fields at the end there, and it's, that's going to get me into my Ginger's Garbage of the Week. And my Ginger's Garbage. Time to throw out the trash. Welcome to Ginger's Garbage. is Matt Nagy, Bill Lazor, Juan Castillo, John DiFilippo, whoever you want to talk about for that Chicago Bears and that offensive staff. Listen, all we heard about is how creative Nagy is and, and, and from the Andy Reid tree and, and John DiFilippo and the job he did in Philadelphia with Nick Foles and Juan Castillo and how great of an offensive line coach he's been over the years for for Andy Reid and, and Doug Peterson and you know Bill Lazor who's bounced around with the likes of, of Chip Kelly and, and all of these guys and listen you know you heard it heard it today is you've had 198 days since you've drafted Justin Fields and that's the offensive game plan that you're going to roll out for him that is absolute horseshit there's gotta that, that that was there's I've seen high school playbooks better than what they rolled rolled out. Didn't they move the pocket twice in the first half? Um, you know, five man protections, straight dropbacks, not using any of the skill set of Justin Fields, and and just absolutely a travesty to the kid. And to drop him back there for five man protections and let him get sacked nine times, and. Uh, it almost seemed like it was intentional, and you never want to say it, but it was almost a, a, a coach kind of sticking it to the media. It felt like, listen, I, I get it. The maybe the kid is struggling with the playbook, or 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 there's certain things, but then stick to your guns, or there's a way around it that, 
hey, he's, you know, we're working on some things or installing some things. There's, there's got to be a better way, whether he was ready or not. And I get it. You want to simplify it, simplify his reads. But if you're going to do that, cut the field in half, roll him out, move the pocket, do certain things. There's so much more than just giving the kid maybe 20 or 30 plays that he feels comfortable with instead of, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, um, depending on the quarterback and the size of the playbook comparatively to other teams. But to me, just absolute horseshit by Matt Nagy, Bill Lazor, and, and that offensive staff. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't know who's making the game plans. I don't know whether if it's Lazor or Nagy or Nagy. And, but somebody, grow a set of balls, and when that game plan comes up, somebody challenge them on it. Whoever's making it to say, this is what we're rolling out against the, the Cleveland Browns defense and that defensive line. You know, I, I said right from the start that, that you know, Dalton, I believe Dalton was the best option because of how bad that offensive line um, was going to be. But there's got to be better options than that in that playbook that you can come up with to uh, to protect this kid. You know, and, and all we learned was is, is how tough he was. Nine sacks, he, you know, mentally tough and, and what a great teammate he is. So... To me, Justin Fields did show more than, you know, the struggles. He showed the, the intestinal fortitude, the, the physicality fortitude to, to stick with it, not to call his teammates out, but 6 for 20 for 68 passing yards and 9 sacks. That's a tough start for the kid. Hopefully it gets better. Hopefully it gets better for these young quarterbacks. I know it will. There's just too much talent there. Hey, we know out of the five that were drafted, we know a couple of them are going to be middle of the range and there'll be one that'll be out of the league in a year or two here uh, or three. But to me, there's just too much talent there that, you know, two or the two or three of these kids are going to be superstars. Stay patient, stay with them. We know rookies are going to struggle. Number two, nice to see the taunting penalty um, at least fixed for one week. Listen, eight taunting calls. I went into the... Uh, the NFL uh, penalty archives um, in my research eight times in week two. I didn't look it up last week. I did mention to get rid of it, um, and it was something that was uh, you know stuck in my crow. Listen, only two in week three, so that's down significantly. Only two in week one, so nice to see. Maybe it was just a blip on the radar. Maybe it was a message being sent by the NFL, but uh, hopefully this taunting shenanigans doesn't continue by the NFL. 12 calls overall for taunting uh, in 2021. That's already more than all of 2020. There was only 10 called in 2020, only 8 called in 2019. The 12 year average I looked at it, folks, is uh, 16 per season we're talking about here. So we're already at 12. You know, 16 is only one per week or just under one per week. We're already at 12. That's averaging four per week here. So Hopefully we can get rid of this taunting. Hopefully it doesn't rear its ugly head in a big-time situation and a big-time game um, where emotions boil over and uh, we can get this under control and get past it here. We'll keep you updated on the overall penalties. I continue to keep a close eye on that, and that will rear its ugly head at some point in time here because um, alarm bells are being set off in terms of penalties here in 2021, as I'm sure most of you notice while you're watching the game. And my third and final, oh, sorry, I have four of them that I've learned. I will start with number four first. I'll jump ahead a little bit here. Um, the big-time quarterback showed up, and and this is what I'm talking about. Week three, 
Um, week four, week five, the cream rises to the top, as my man, Macho Man Randy Savage once said. Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, uh, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousin, Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Joe Burrows. You can even throw Lamar in there with the with the comeback and a, and a decent game with a really depleted and banged up uh, Raven squad, as we know. Um, all of those quarterbacks had big time games. You, you know, you start to add those numbers up. That that's the who's who of the top fifteen quarterbacks in the NFL. The only real uh, two disappointments. Uh, Russell Wilson, not the best game at Minnesota, which I told you, I hope you hopped on that money line, folks. Uh, Minnesota, Seattle last week, we had them. We didn't do too great on our, on our picks, but, uh, we held our own. And then Tom Brady had a, a tiny bit of a disappointing game at SoFi Stadium against those Los Angeles Rams, but a tough defense. Couldn't really ask for, uh, for much going on the road against, uh, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey and, and that tough squad. And my fourth and final thing we learned that kickers matter, and we're watching history here. Listen, Atlanta over the Giants. Young uh, Young Ho uh, Ku kicks the game winner. Vegas over Miami. Miami. Daniel Carlson ticks, kicks two field goals. Chip shots, mind you, but two field goals in overtime kicks the game winner. Mason Crosby, we saw that. Aaron Rodgers at San Fran. Sunday Night Football, big-time comeback. Uh, late in the game with two absolutely unbelievable throws. If you haven't had the opportunity to see that first down throw um, from Aaron Rodgers, bra- um, Devontae Adams bracketed by four guys, and Rodgers throws an absolute dime over top of uh, Fred, Vor- Fred Warner and in front of the, the safety. Check the throw out. It's an MVP throw to a top three wide receiver in the NFL. But Mason Crosby kicks the 50-yarder to win it, and how could we not end it on Justin Tucker, 66-yarder, Baltimore over Detroit. So kickers matter, and the kicker that matters the most right now is to me, are we watching the greatest kicker of all time in Justin Tucker? Listen, 298 out of 329, 91% in regular season um, kicks, he is 70 over 75% from kicks over 50 plus yards or almost bang on 75%, 45 of 62 from 50 plus. He's been kicking since 2012. He hits the 61 yarder in 2013 on a six field goal performance at Ford Field and then comes back to Ford Field now and hits a 66 yarder to win the game. The only real blip was last year in the playoffs. He was three for six. In his in his playoffs, he's fourteen for eighteen in uh, overall in uh, in playoffs on kicks. So he's got a he's over seventy five percent in the playoffs. He had a he had a tough night on a windy night in Buffalo. So it's a little bit skewed there. But that's the only real knock on on Tucker. Other than that, to me, um, as strange as it is to say, I think we're we're watching a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think Justin Tucker is going to go in on the first ballot as a kicker. I think we're watching the greatest kicker of all time here, folks. So those are the things I learned. Week 3 NFL football. We're going to continue to do this on a weekend, week-out basis. And we're going to learn more and more about this year's NFL season and the teams. Let's hop over to game lines. And uh, like I said last week, we're not going to get too in, too deep into it. Um, Friday, Saturday, we're going to have our picks posted up on all of our social media fronts. So that's where you're going to find our final picks we got to get a look at 
the um, who's in, who's out, the final injury report. Here are some of those, um, anybody who's questionable, doubtful, all those things are unknown game time decisions, all important things, i.e. Dalvin Cook. Uh, this week with Minnesota, there's a bunch there. So all those things matter in going into uh, to looking at um, who we are eventually going to take here uh, on a week-by-week basis. Overall, when I'm looking at it, not too bad on the spreads. Um, just below 500 at um, 22 and 25 and 1 in the 48 games that have been played so far in the NFL season. So need a big week. But some of the big matchups that we're going to go through here. I've got you eight big matchups this week, starting with the 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock's a little bit of a snoozer timeline um, or time frame here. But uh, two big matchups that I've got circled on the schedule. Number one, uh, Carolina and Dallas. Big matchup in the NFC. Uh, we've got Carolina, who's undefeated. Dallas, 2-1. and one. Dallas opens up at minus five favorites at home at Jerry World. 15.5 on the, uh, the game line. I like Dallas. They impressed me on uh, on Monday Night Football this week against uh, or last night against uh, against Philadelphia, coming off the big win at SoFi Stadium against the Chargers. Couple nice victories here for Dallas. I think they keep it going. I think they got a chance to cover that. Stay tuned on that one. This game I call um, this is the desperation game for two teams. Uh, one that made the playoffs. One that barely missed last year. Slow starts. A little bit of the injury bug for both squads, but. Um, both of these teams got some some weaknesses that we didn't expect and some that we did expect and uh, they're being exposed and not a good start so to me the loser of this football game um as as early as it is in week 4 can almost pack it up and pack it in in terms of uh playoffs or being able the ability to do anything and that's the Indianapolis Colts and the Miami Miami Dolphins 1 o'clock time frame I like Indy a desperate Indy 0 and 3 on the money line at Miami. Miami opens at minus one and a half favorites, uh, 43 um, on the point total. I think Indy's got a chance to win this game. I think they're just too good of a roster. A um, couple tough losses against the Rams and the Titans. They had their opportunities against the Titans to, to take that game uh, by the reins and just never, um, never could uh, get a hold of it and really blew it against the Rams. Uh, two weeks ago. So I think Miami's offensive line's an absolute mess. Um, Jacoby Brissett did a great job avoiding Max Crosby and all that pressure from Vegas last week. I think um, Brissett's going to be your starter for the rest of the year. I don't think Tua starts when he comes back. I think Brissett grabs this job and takes it, especially if Miami wins this game, gets back to 2-2, two and two, and it's kind of hovering and still in the hunt. I think um, defensively, I think they feel comfortable. Brian Flores likes what he's got. And they're playing playing better. I think uh, they go with Brissett. The four o'clock lines, folks, are real sexy. Some real nice matchups here at four o'clock. So if you're gonna tune in at any point in time on Sunday and you've got something going on, get out there, get it done early. Be back on that couch for four o'clock. We got Cardinals, Rams. We've got Seahawks and San Fran. We've got Pittsburgh, Green Bay. We've got Baltimore and Denver. Let's start with our four o five start. Cardinals, Rams. Hey, what more could you ask for? Two 3-0 teams, AFC West barn burner. Rams open up uh, minus 5 at the favorite, 54 and a half on the point total. I'm not sold on Murray. I'm not sold on the Cardinals. Um, I'll be sold after this week if they beat the Rams because of uh, the Rams absolutely trouncing the Bucks last uh, last week and probably 
have to be said to be the best team in the NFL at this point in time with Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Bobby Woods, and, and all those weapons with that defense. Um, tough to uh, tough to match up against, but I'm going to take the Rams, or I like them early on. San Fran, Seattle. Uh, San Fran opens up as the traditional home three-point favorite, 52 on the game total. Not sure about this one yet, but a big matchup. Seattle falls, uh, lost two in a row now. Minnesota and Tennessee uh, falls to one and two. San Fran loses to Green Bay in a, in a tough loss. Thought they were going to be able to pull that one out, even though they weren't the better team all night. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo looks to rebound at home and really put Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks into a big hole at one and three. So that'll be an interesting matchup. I think Green Bay is going to hit their stride here against Pittsburgh on a 425 start here on Sunday. Um, six and a half point favorite opens up 45 and a half on the game total. I'm hammering Green Bay to win that game by a touchdown. To me, Pittsburgh's done. Pittsburgh might be the, uh, without TJ Watt, might be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's beat up, banged up, organizational failure, not being able to uh, either move off of Ben or find that next progression over the last couple years with the exodus of, of Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, not drafting uh, offensive, capable offensive linemen. Um, Pittsburgh needs to strip it down and, and rebuild this back up. And uh, it, it's an interesting time for Pittsburgh here. If, if they suffer their first losing season under, under Mike Tomlin, it'll be interesting to see um, where they go and how they go about that. So they're a team, no matter what happens, uh, I'll be keeping an eye on. And an interesting one, uh, another 425 start, Baltimore and Denver. Uh, Baltimore squeaks out now two wins in a row uh, against KC and the Detroit Lions. For those who had Baltimore on the survivor, um, I hope you're sending Justin Tucker a little gift in the mail because uh, he kept you alive. There's no doubt about that. But Denver opens up uh, as a little bit of an underdog at home, minus one, even though they're 3-0. Hey, I know they haven't beat anybody, Giants, Jets, and uh, Jacksonville or, or somebody like that. Um, so they haven't haven't beat anybody, but uh, I like Denver here. I think Denver shows up and shows out. I I'm not sold on Baltimore. I think they're still too banged up. They haven't got healthy enough yet. Going on the road, mile high. That defense plays fast and furious. I think they're going to be able to hem Lamar in and cause them some issues. I think Baltimore's got some advantages in terms of Mark Andrews against those linebackers. Uh, I think he'll be able to get open over the middle of the field. So you might have to see uh, those safeties come down and help on Andrews. But uh, I'm going to take Denver early on here. The big matchup, the granddaddy of them all on Sunday night football, the Tampa Bay Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers open up at 6.5 point favorites in New England against Bill Belichick. 8.20 start in Foxborough. What more could you ask for? Um, we'll be watching history. I got a feeling uh, after watching Tom at uh, SoFi, I'm going to watch him again closely here on Sunday night. He, he had that reminiscent feeling, really looking around at the crowd, trying to take everything in. It'll be real interesting to see what happens up there in Foxborough if he's honed in or if uh, you know he's on the swan song here a little bit. But uh, interesting demeanor from Tom to me on, on Sunday afternoon there at SoFi Stadium. So... Something to keep an eye on. Monday Night Football, another barn burner. We've got the 2-1 Chargers coming off the huge upset against the Kansas City Chiefs. 
playing at home, three and a half point favorites, fifty-two and a half on the game total against the three and O Las Vegas Raiders. Probably have the three best quality wins in the NFL, two of which are in overtime. But um, can they keep squeaking them out? I like the, I like the Raiders to cover here on a field goal uh, division game, um, big time prime time game. Derek Carr's nobody's really playing better than him right now. He's top five uh, for this little stretch here. Is is he going to come back down to size? I think so, but um, big matchup. And some those are kind of the big matchups that I'm keeping an eye on. Those are our game lines. Like I said, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, at Triple G, we'll have our picks up for uh, football on Friday or Saturday, and uh, we'll have our golf picks up on Thursday, folks. When we get back, we're gonna flip it over to golf to end off this episode, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Here comes the. Here comes the. Real life passion for real life sports. All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G. And uh, make sure you're tuning in week to week. We've got some more guests coming up next week. Like I said, we've got some uh, a big game preview that's near and dear to my heart. And we're going to try to get into that much like we did uh, last season as we move into this NFL, uh, NFL year and, and the games get bigger and uh, we get a real feel for these teams. We're going to start to bring on some of these guests and really start to dive into some specific teams, specific games as we move in week through week. We've got some great golf guests lined up as well, um, locally and globally, um, over the next few weeks here. So we're real excited, like I said, and like I've been pumping out here for our fall guest list and what's ahead here for Triple G. And thanks to all our guests who've joined us over the last few weeks, uh, Paul Tesori, Jay Delsing, and more. Um, So we've had a great guest list. Look forward to many more. But let's hop over into the world of golf and uh, before I get into the LPGA, PGA Tour, and the Ryder Cup, want to give a shout-out and uh, to let all of our listeners know to keep an eye tomorrow when you're listening to this podcast and you hear this. Garrett Rank, local um, Canadian boy from um, Kitchener area, NHL referee, is just advanced into the Sweet 16 in the U.S. men's mid-amateur so he's into the Sweet 16, only three Canadians that uh, went down, and uh, he was the only one to qualify for the final 64 match play event. Um, so he is in there. He actually was second qualifier, shooting minus uh, minus seven through two rounds. Uh, had the the uh, second rank overall out of the 64, and he is into that Sweet 16. So best of luck to Garrett. We're going to be cheering you on from north of the border here. And hopefully uh, he can advance into the Elite Eight or the uh, the semifinals. And uh, we'll be able to see him on uh, on national television. Um, as I believe NBC picks up that event. Or ESPN, one of the two. Um, the LPGA. Hey, huge shout out. We had uh, NASA Hokotoko um, with two aces back-to-back at the uh, Arkansas Championship this week. 
Brooke Anderson finishing T25. We're at the ShopRite Classic this week. If you've got a chance, make sure you're tuning into this one, folks. It's an all-ladies broadcast, which has uh, never been done before. Real cool. So we're excited for it. The ladies are starting to wind down their season. They're overseas um, for the next four weeks after this week at ShopRite, going to uh, countries like China, Korea, Taipei, and uh, Japan for their tour um, for uh, the for their month tour here in October and then they come back in November right back into the warm weather in uh, Pelicans uh, Women's Championship at Pelican Golf Club in early November and then the Tour Championship at Tiburon in Naples Florida if you've ever had the opportunity to go down there I have with uh, with Dutch and play the golf course it's uh, where they traditionally do the uh, the Greg Norman shootout absolutely phenomenal facility and track but um, amazing so uh, good finish here for the ladies coming up. Some big events. We're going to be uh, keeping an eye on what happens here over the uh, the end of the 21 season as the ladies have a little bit more of a traditional schedule this year in terms of the calendar year and uh, when they're finishing up. On to the Ryder Cup. What an event, folks. Um, listen, we know it was a whitewash. Uh, they got absolutely trounced. And it happens. It, it it happens from time to time and, and you know, we've seen we've seen the likes of Europe and we know it was record setting and, and congrats to Captain Stricker Stricker and that squad. Um just flat out outplayed him and, and listen two things that, that stood home for me and, and you heard it here on our previous podcast. And let's go back a couple weeks to, to what Paul Tesori said when we had him on and we chatted with him. And we were talking about President's Cups and Ryder Cups with, with him and Webb and being in the team room and behind the scenes. And he he said about the Ryder Cup, you know, we've got to have more fun. And what did you hear from a man? You heard it from Jordan Spieth. You heard it from JT. You heard it from Dustin. Um, you heard it from a few of these guys. Finau, not the rookies. You know, somebody who's going into their first Ryder Cup, um, a Cantley or somebody or a Morikawa who's played in a President's Cup before, um, they may not notice it as much. But somebody who's who's played, somebody like a DJ and a and a and a Spieth, um, they're gonna know because they've been in three and and three of them and six of them that that they've got to have more fun. Right. And and they did. And you heard all of them say that, that, that it was a much more fun environment. It was more of a President's Cup feel. And that's exactly what Paul said a couple of weeks ago. So kudos to Captain Stricker to to realizing that and, and really understanding that. And number two was um, the putting. Jay, Jay mentioned, listen, it's a putting competition. And you heard that as well. You heard that from Faraday on the telecast. You heard that from uh, the European squad who got absolutely bolt raced out there from pretty much start to finish. Um, so real cool that, that, that you know, a couple of our guests really pointed out some of the keys and, and provided a lot of insight. And, and to then to hear that and, and actually come to fruition was really, really neat. Um, kudos to Captain Stricker. You know, you, you, you heard... Paul a couple weeks ago on the podcast mentioned that um, you know Webb didn't get the pick and he, and one of the big reasons was is that 
the American rookies have a great record on American soil. Well, 14-4-3 is a pretty darn good record. Um, so kudos to Captain Stricker for doing his homework and trusting the analytics because his six rookies absolutely showed up and showed out. Morikawa, Cantley, and Schaff, uh, Scotty Scheffler undefeated. 8-0-3. Um, phenomenal performance by those three. Xander was solid. Berger was solid. Um, you know, Harris English had a little bit of a tough go. But other than that... Um, a real solid performance from all six of the rookies. And part of the reason why, uh, well, one of the main reasons why they, they ended up winning this thing in in, uh, in historic fashion. So real interesting as we move forward uh, to Rome now. And, and you know, one thing that, that I wanted to say as we, as we move forward into the 2023 Ryder Cup and, and what we heard in the press conferences and, and all of that is... is pump the brakes a little bit from the US squad. You know, you hear about you hear the media talk about oh the the formidable they're so they're so young and we saw the average age at, at 29 and and you know this is a young squad who's who's going to have you know going to be formidable for years to come. Listen. Brooks Kepka 6-5 and 1, 3 Ryder Cups. Jordan Spieth 8-7 and 3, 3 Ryder Cups. Tony Finau, three and three, two Ryder Cups. Dustin Johnson, who's going to be there again, six Ryder Cups, twelve and nine. All right, those are are that's half of almost half of the American squad. Bryson DeChambeau, two, three and one, two Ryder Cups. Okay, I, that's five five names I gave you there, that are barely above or barely yeah barely above five hundred. Okay. Justin Thomas, 6-1-1, one, one, two Ryder Cups. He's the guy, he's the polter that I would be worried about. To me, he's the lightning rod of this American squad. The rest of those guys, listen, you had a good showing at home. Tip of the cap, good for you. But don't fucking sit here and tell me that 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 this is you know a formidable squad. Let me see some of these rookies go on the road and see how they do, right? Let me let me see Xander. Let me see Cantley. Let me see Morikawa go on the road to Italy and see how they do. Because I, I seen how Brooks did, and I seen how Bryson did, and I've seen DJ, right? So if this thing goes right back to Europe, then what, then what do we say? So what what I'm saying is, and I'm not saying that, that, that this isn't a good squad, and it's going to change a little bit. You don't think Patrick Reed and Sam Burns and Max Homa and Will Zoratowis and Matthew Wolf, Wolf and Cameron Champ and some of these other young guns are going to come up and somebody's going to emerge. And a, and a guy like Webb Simpson might, you know, might be there as well. There's just, there's a lot, Billy Horschel, Kevin Na. There's a lot of the U.S. US we know how deep the U.S. is and their stable of guys that are, that are available to them. And there'll be a couple guys in, a couple guys out um, as we move into 2023 and we get to Rome. But I need to see it one more time on the road if I'm fully going to buy in that, you know, Morikawa and Cantley and Bryson and Xander and JT and Brooks and Spieth and, and these guys are, you know, these six, seven, eight guys that, 
that America now thinks that, you know, they've won a President's Cup in, in good fashion, and they've won a Ryder Cup in good fashion, and that, that this is our team, and, and that we're going to be dominant in all these events for years to come. I'm just not buying into it yet, so I'm just saying pump the brakes. In terms of, of the European squad, um, listen, it, it, your your horses didn't show up, you know. Paul Casey 0-4, and I know he got paired against DJ all four times and and pretty much got waxed and um, didn't see the 18th hole till Sunday. You know, Poulter 1-2, and two, Westwood 1-2, and two, and, you know, they hadn't, they, they, both those guys had to win their singles matches to get the, the win, and Rory, same thing, 1-3 uh, and three and got sat down for the first time, and Victor Hovland 0-3-2 as a rookie getting his first taste. And, and listen, I was the first one to put my hand up uh, on, on Saturday and ask why Paul Casey was, was back out there on Saturday morning after going 0-2. 0-2. I thought Fleetwood had had earned that right after getting a half point. Um, I thought Fleetwood was a was a better option, but it wouldn't have mattered. It, it, when your best players aren't aren't playing well and and you're practically a a two man team, okay, maybe you could you could throw you know Fleetwood or Hatton or Lowry in there as as you know helpful guys, but you know. Effectively, it was Rom and Sergio against against the entire U.S. squad, and and they had no opportunity, no chance. You know, I I let you know about that rookie record on the U.S. side, fourteen four and three. Well, the three rookies on the European side were one eight and two, right? So um, it's uh, it just it just wasn't meant to be. And and now you hear about you hearing the opposite. Oh well, you know you've got Casey at forty four, and you got Westwood at forty eight, and Poulter at forty five, and Sergio's 41 and who's going to be this this new crop of guys well come on let's just pump the brakes on that you know any one of those guys could still qualify all have shown well over all these years you know Westwood's 21 20 and 6 Poulter 15 8 and 2 Sergio 25 13 and 7 12 4 and 3 in foursomes Poulter hasn't been undefeated uh, still undefeated in singles so you know the core of this team, and, and if you listen to Padraig Harrington in, in his press conference on, on Sunday evening, um, he said the core of this team is still together, and he's right. When when you look at it, Rom, Hatton, Rory, Hovland, Fleetwood, right? That's that's five guys. You know, Matthew Fitzpatrick, you, you start to question now. Two Ryder Cups, 0-5. Um, tough, tough, tough thing. And, you know, how do you, how do you give that a captain's pick? I know you're at home, so it could be a little bit different. But Matthew Fitzpatrick, to me, after those two showings, is is he's gonna have to flat out qualify for that uh, for that squad in 2021 or sorry 2023. I just can't see him getting a, uh, a captain's pick. But y- you take that core and you know you, between you know Sergio and and Poulter and and Weisberger and Casey, you're, you're gonna have a guy or two there that are gonna qualify. And then there there is some you, you know you've got hey. How about uh, how about little Guido, the Italian, twenty four years old? You don't think he's going to want to qualify for uh, his home, in his home country in Rome? He's going to be trying his guts out to make that squad. You still got Rose, Stenson, Molinari, guys we talked about on the preview show that weren't on this squad. They could reemerge and come back. They've had success, especially at home. 
Then you've got Victor Perez, who just missed this squad. You've got Robbie McIntyre, 25 years old. Perez is only 29 years old. So don't sleep on Europe just yet. They add a couple of those young guns in there. They get some of those veteran guys back. They're at home again in 2023, and they'll be back. Two things to end it off the Ryder Cup. Then we're going to get over our, to our picks to end off uh, Dutch and I. Dutchy threw uh, his picks in there for the Sandersons this week uh, for the PGA Tour. We talked about the opening holes and the closing holes as being huge key points. To me, I noticed in the first two days, the the swing holes were holes 9 through 12. And when you look at it, sessions 1, 2, and 3 on holes 9 through 12, the U.S. and those team matches were 9 up. 9 up in 12 matches. They, they were winning those holes. And for those that have played matches... Um, at their local golf courses, with their buddies, with their pals. Holes 9 through 12 are so crucial because whether you're behind or whether you're ahead, they, they swing the match into the that key point into the back nine. You know, if you're one down, two down, and all of a sudden you can gain one back and, and get it to even, that's a huge swing. If you're one up and two up and you you gain momentum 9 through 12, now that you're going, you know, two down, three down through 12 or 13, that's tough sledding. So those were holes um, that I thought could come into play with teams that didn't perform and they could you could really get on a run there. I didn't think they'd be big, big swing holes, but um, holes 9 through 12 were in the team portion of the event was, was really, really crucial. And the big takeaway for me um, was... A couple things and 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 there was polls and this and that that i saw all week as the Ryder cup uh all weekend as the Ryder cup was going on about you know is this your favorite event and you know it was surprisingly it was you know a 60 40 split for a lot of people that it wasn't and, and i don't know whether if with me and having a little bit more of a european background with my dad being scottish and and real being really being involved in the Ryder cup and you know remembering Oak Hill in 95 with, with Woosnam and Pavin and, and Azinger and Valderrama in 97. You know, that's one that always sticks in my mind. Um, I remember getting up the crack of dawn, 13 years old. I was big into golf and just just watching it. And I just, it, it stuck with me since then. And and now being 37 years old and, and 24 years later, I've never missed. I never miss it, and it's it's like I said, you guys, all the listeners out there, um, it's my favorite golf event, um, bar none, because it's it, number one, it's different. Number two, it's got different formats, and number three, the crowds are just absolutely unbelievable, and it's it's it, I think it's it's just great. And I think I was backed up as as much as for the for the average fan, you know. A lot of people you heard over the weekend to me, you know, Augusta, Augusta's the event. Listen, I heard out of the mouths of, of Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Ian Poulter, guys on a, on a losing team in a tough situation. Um, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, that this is bar none the best event in golf. And it, I think it was backed up and I think it proved it and, and, Hey, the ratings were down in uh, in 2018, back up in 2020, 2021, um, back up to where they were in 2016. And that was with a Sunday that um, 
really you didn't even need to tune into. I, I was more uh, involved with the football than I was with um, with the Ryder Cup because of just the whitewash and it being eleven five going into uh, going into Sunday. And uh, as soon as uh, the red got on the board there, it matches two, three, and four. At that point, you pretty much knew it. Uh, you knew it was over, so it was time to flip over to some football. So before we end it off, interesting stat though, farmers, and it just shows you the power. This is a football and golf podcast. They come together. Um, the Farmers Insurance Championship moves Wednesday to Saturday to avoid Sunday NFL football. So real interesting uh, development there on the PGA Tour. We've also seen it with the reschedule of the Masters. So the PGA Tour really starting to uh, get savvy with uh, how they stack up on Sunday afternoons against Sunday, um, NFL football at the start of um, start of their season, the end of the NFL season in their playoffs. So interesting there. Let's get over to uh, our picks here, and we'll get you out of here, folks. I'm sure you had enough of me blabbing on, so we're going to make it short and sweet this week. We're giving you our picks for the Sandersons at uh, the Country Club of Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi. I'm going to Jackson. I'm going to Jackson Town. Little Johnny Cash there. Our picks, we'll start out with Dutch's picks here. His big gun at 20 to 1, he's going Will Zalatoris. His rock steady top 10, Si Woo Kim at 35 to 1. And his long shot at 110 to 1 is Dylan Fertelli. My big gun, gotta take him. I'm starting off the year with a Canadian, 22 to 1. I'm taking Corey Connors. My rock steady pick. Of uh, of this week at Sanderson for the top ten. Listen, 2019 he was T19, 2020 he was T6. He's trending in the right direction at this event. 35 to one. I'm taking the green glove, Charlie Hoffman as my rock steady top ten and my long shot pick. Not as much as a long shot as Dutch's, but um, solid performer. He's gonna make the cut. When I look at the long shot, I want a guy that's going to be around on the weekend and possibly be in the mix. Can you give me a good round or two to make something special happen? 2018, he was T34. 2019, he was T40. And 2020, he was second outright to Sergio. If I can get another second, I'll be in the big-time cash again at 90-1. to I'm taking Peter Malnetti or Malnetta. Um, Those are our picks at Sanderson this week for the PGA Tour. Like I said, they'll be up on all of our social media outlets on Thursday morning. Check out our final NFL picks on Friday or Saturday. They'll be up on the social media outlets as well. Don't be afraid to go back and listen. If you have missed a couple of our previous podcasts, we've had some great guests on. We've got some great guests ahead as well here for the fall. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you enjoy week four of some NFL football. We'll catch you next week. And thanks for tuning in to Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast with Stephen Kerr.